Right, as uh, Sam mentioned, this is the, the final one in the Abides, which I should have done on, I think, on the 8th of December, but uh, I was otherwise occupied in the week beforehand, and Sam spoke from uh, Romans 16 on that Sunday. Uh, if you've got your Bibles and want to follow the passage, I'll be reading uh, from John 15, verses 1 to 17. I'm going to read the whole passage which we've been looking at on abiding again, because I need the context for what I'm going to be speaking about, which will be mainly on uh, verses uh, 12 to 17. Uh, before I start, I think I need to give a health warning uh, for people of a nervous disposition. Uh, I'll be using various horticultural illustrations, and if you are extremely logical, and you'll find that some of my illustrations are incompatible with one another. So the point being, with the illustrations, we need to take the point they're showing and not push them too far, because if you take the illustration beyond the point I'm trying to show, you will find that it doesn't always work. And I think that's always a good thing to remember. You know, illustrations are to help us to grab hold of a truth. They're not the truth itself. And what we need to be getting hold of is the uh, truth behind it. And as we've got Pete here, uh, if my horticulture gets, goes adrift, uh, I uh, will be ready to be uh, corrected on that. Right, so from uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17 on the true vine. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another."
So the main part in the passage I'm looking at is you love one another. Now it's easy to read this kind of passage and get massive guilt feelings. I don't know if it's only me who uh, responds that way, but I'm sure most of us do. Now the context, as we pointed out, is of the branches abiding in the vine and bearing much fruit. And Sam and Peter's uh, earlier sermons have gone into that in quite detail. But I think for the part I'm looking at, the first bit we need to bear in mind comes in verse 16, where it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Because when we look at whether we're bearing fruit or not, the easy thing is to look first at ourselves and think we're not succeeding that well. But what Jesus is doing is making the point that it's not a case of us having to bear fruit to become his friends, but rather that he has chosen us to be his friends, and having chosen us, he, we, we then produce the fruit because we're abiding in him. So the initial dependency on whether we bear fruit or not doesn't depend on us that depends on Jesus on the fact that he's called us and uh, well only in the month end of last month uh, several of us were at uh, the relational mission uh, days up in Cambridge and one thing which uh, Mike Betts was very, spoke quite a lot on, and if the audios or videos from that become available, I'd strongly recommend listening uh, to them, which is talking about rest. Again, he was speaking very much that where we can rest comes from the position we have in Jesus and the fact that he has called us. And picking up on some of the verses he used, but... He's obviously spoken on this in much more detail. I think it, at this point it's worth looking at Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 to 10. And this is Paul talking to the Ephesians about how they became Christians, how they became Jesus' friends. And from verse 4 it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immense riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we were dead when Jesus ch chose us, when he decided uh, to bring us to salvation. We are saved through faith, as Mike was reminding us earlier in the service. But even more... We're saved by faith, and it's not even that we've got enough faith to save ourselves. 
No, in the second part of verse 8, when it says, by, first part says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And then it says, this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Even the faith we need to get saved comes from God. It's not that somehow we have managed to build ourselves up to a sufficient level of faith for God to save us. He's the one who gave us the faith in the first place. So we are totally dependent on him right from the beginning for our Christian, for the start of our Christian life and ongoing. Which is why you know, we've got this whole emphasis in what we're doing on abiding in him. If we go back in the Bible to Romans chapter 11, we find that the agricultural metaphor or picture changes from being a vine in John 15 to being an olive tree. And you almost need to read the whole chapter to get the whole gist of what Paul's preaching, but I'm going to jump in at verse 17. And it's talking about the olive tree, in a sense, of being the people of Israel. And he's talking here to Gentiles, to those who were not Jewish, who were not of the people of Israel. And in verse 17 it says, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So here, in this part, he's saying, you know, we have become grafted in to, it's like the tree of which Jesus is the root, but it's as if we are sort of a wild bit growing in the hedgerow, which has been taken and put into the cultivated one. So, for ourselves, however we look at it, it is out of God's great grace and mercy that we have actually been brought in. And going on in verse 22, uh, Paul says, Note, then, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. We find this also in the John 15 in the earlier bit, talking about branches being pruned and cast away. It's God's kindness which has brought us in to life in him. So though the primary responsibility, if you like, for bringing us in is God's, because he's called us, we then have a secondary responsibility to respond to his kindness and to continue in his kindness, not to reject what he has done for us. Now, it talks in Romans about grafting, so I thought I would bring an illustration in today. No, it's not a Christmas tree. Obviously, sad that your horticulture needs a little bit of improvement. It is, according to this, a Prunus domestica opal. Which is what? A plum tree. Thank you. Now, up until 
we, we bought this and a similar one. Lynn and I don't have any plum trees. We've got various other fruit trees, but not plum trees. Now, the thing, one thing which has stopped us in the past from thinking about planting a plum tree, as some of you who've heard us talk about our horticultural woes, is that the area where we live has squirrels. And therefore, if we're going to have a nice large plum tree, the probability is all the, squirrel, the squirrels will get all the plums before we get a chance to eat any of them. But in about a month or two ago, probably uh, somewhere around that, looking at the plant store under the Guildhall, he had a group of these small trees. And looking at them, they are patio fruit trees. So the whole idea is that they're meant to be small, and for ah, oh, if it's that can be small, maybe we could grow a plum tree like that and then be able to net it against the squirrels. As if that would work, but we can give it a go. Now, how do you get a plum tree, which normally is massive, to actually be small enough to be a patio size? And you graft it. Thank you, Joy. And if you look here, you can see where the graft is. So you have one rootstock and then you graft the bit you want to grow here. So what, what, does that, what happens with this? The size of the tree is governed by the rootstock. So that controls what happens to the tree. But the fruit we get is governed by the bit up here. So you still get the same fruit it would otherwise produce. And I think this gives us a bit about us being grafted in. We don't lose our personality. We're still the people we were before. So what we will produce will be refl reflect to some extent who we are. But we're no longer controlling, in a sense, our own lives. We're now under the control of uh, whatever's the rootstock here. And according to what kind of rootstock you've got, you can get, you'll get different amounts of growth. Right, let's go back to John 15, I want to look at particularly at verses 12 to 14 again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So we're called to love one another. So, if we're Jesus' friends... Do we do what he commands? Do we love one another? And I think all of us that will find to some degree or another, when we look at this, we're looking, thinking, well, maybe I don't do it as well as I should. So, how do we respond to this kind of passage? Because as I say, it's very easy to this kind of passage to go on a big guilt trip and think, oh no, I'm failing yet again. Well, obviously the first question you have to ask yourself is, are we really Jesus' friends? 
Because it's, it's possible to be in a church, but try and live up to an image of what you think a Christian should be, and uh, therefore trying to make yourself the kind of person God would like. Now, if that is you, and I've no reason to suspect for anyone here it is, but if it is, the answer then is not to give up, but to become his friend, because he's rich in mercy, and he offers his salvation to all who ask and come in repentance to him. If you are his friend, we still need to remember he's rich in mercy. That when we fail, he is ready to forgive us. Because, as uh, John says in his letter, you know, if we say we haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves. But he forgives us our sins and cleanses us. But if we want to develop in loving one another more, I think there's a couple of questions we should ask ourselves or maybe even three, added one during the service. First question, looking back to what was earlier in the passage, is am I willing to be pruned? You know, as we've said already, I think it was Sam was talking on that, you know, Jesus prunes so that we might be more fruitful. I don't know about you, if you uh, keep fruit trees or other things, but I have a tendency, and Lynn even more so, to be reluctant to prune things. We much rather let things grow. But that's not always what's most productive. So are you willing to let Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, prune you to be the person he wants you to be more? Because he doesn't impose himself on us. We have to be willing. I think the other thing we need to ask ourselves, am I trying to bypass the route and get my own sustenance? Now, it wouldn't work with this one, because as you can see, uh, the graft is right up here. But uh, I have some apple trees where the graft is quite close to soil level. And the thing always is, you have to make sure that you don't let the soil get above the graft. Because otherwise, this bit, the ungrowth, the bit which has been put on top, will produce roots into the soil. Big thing, oh, yippee, I can now grow however tall I want to be, rather than what the root is controlling. In fact, one of my apple trees seems to produce roots, even if the soil's still several centimetres away from it. It almost seems to sense, you know, there's some soil down there, let's send out some roots and try and get in so they don't have to be cut out. Are we dependent on Jesus? Are we dependent on the Holy Spirit in what we do? Or are we trying to take control ourselves of what happens? And it's one of these things, you know, I think these are things we need to, every so often, review and ask ourselves. Because these are continuous decisions to continue following Jesus, 
to continuing following his commands. And if we're not careful, we can drift. That's why it's good that you're here today, because one way we can help stop ourselves drifting is by meeting together with other Christians, because it gives more opportunities for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So we need to ask ourselves, am I following his commands? But I think there's another reason why sometimes we don't seem to be as fruitful as we hope. And let's take a little step back and then I'll come back to that. I think I've mentioned my father once or twice when I've preached. But my parents met when they were living in Maidstone. Now, as far as I know, I have no Jutish blood in my veins or DNA. So there's no particular Kentish connection my, fa- uh, my family has. It just so happened that both my parents were, after the war, were in the Maidstone area. But my father was working as a statistician at the East Morling Agricultural Research Station. And he, the team he was part of did a lot of number crunching on the data they'd built up over the years about how productive apple trees were. And his team was one of the ones which was responsible for the evidence that actually the weight of crop you get doesn't really depend on how many apples you have on the tree. Obviously, if you take too many off, it will, but generally. So that's why, with an apple tree, you often uh, reduce the number of fruit on the tree so that you get more larger apples rather than a lot of small apples. You know, and they did the number crunching to show that reducing the number of apples on the tree didn't reduce the crop overall. But they also found out that the amount of fruit you got on a tree in one year didn't really depend on what happened that year. It depended much more on what had happened the previous year, what the rainfall had been like, how much sunshine there had been, how much the tree had fruited that year. And I think one of the, getting to my point now, I think one of the points we have is that we often have a very short-term mindset. We think we do something now, we want to see the results tomorrow. While God often has a much longer term, and he's, so therefore, in respond, we often need to respond to his commands now, and continue responding now, but we won't necessarily see the result now. And that can be difficult, particularly in our immediate response culture. One thing I've noticed looking at other relational mission New Frontiers churches is that frequently when churches suddenly get larger and grow, they're a bit puzzled as to why it happened. This happened with Cornerstone City Church in Medway a few years ago, where their numbers pretty well doubled in a year, if not more. But they'll say they hadn't changed what they'd done. You know, they didn't say, oh, we need to change to do this and then we will grow. They just continued faithfully doing what God had told them to do. And the 
Part of it was the environment in the area changed. And, but it was that God started sending people in. Now, that's not necessarily a case to mean that there aren't changes we do need to make. But I think we need to be cautious about thinking that if we make some changes, there's going to be suddenly a change. There might be, there might not. There might just be the fruit coming from all the work which has been done over the last years might suddenly appear. So I think, as with many things, the thing is to not, not give up, even if, as today, numbers are low, we continue doing what God has called us to do. We continue to abide in him. We continue to love one another. We continue to listen to what he says and follow his commands. And I think the fact that Jesus actually gives a command to love one another suggests that it's not necessarily easy. In one sense, loving one another ought to be a natural fruit coming out of living, abiding in Jesus. But there's also the element in which we need to make conscious decisions to continue loving one another. And it's, I think, as we continue loving one another, which enables us to continue loving those outside the church, that we will start uh, seeing growth come and people being saved. And, but also we need to be hearing from God as to what we should be doing individually and as a church in seeking to reach those in the town who don't know him. So now over the coming months, I think we're going to be, we'll be looking at this in more detail, but we're sort of hearing from God and applying what he tells us so that we are the people who are following his commands and that we see the growth come. But it can be difficult but it's because sometimes as Sam has said in his one sometimes things get pruned people get pruned out not because there's anything wrong but so that we get further fruiting and also I think the point I was making let's keep our trust in Jesus we go with the ways he's telling us we don't we, it's very tempting to start uh looking for what we think would be the best way. As Sam, I think, said earlier, you know, it's easy to go looking and see what other churches do and think, if we copy them, we'll get the same results. And that won't necessarily be the case. doesn't mean that there's no benefit in looking at what other churches do, but we still need to be listening to what God is telling us as a church here in Faversham. Because he will... <laughs> What we want to be is the best church God wants for Faversham. We don't want to be a pale imitation of the sort of church he wants for somewhere else. So let's continue praying. Let's continue asking God to speak to us. Let's continue listening to what he says. And the fruit will come, even if it's not necessarily when we want might even, as I think uh, from 
uh, uh, what Barry was brought in a picture early in the year. You might find, you know, with flowers popping up all over the place. We might think, you know, we've been doing all this work, we expect fruit here. And we might find we've done all this work and the fruit's over there. I know that happened with Woodside Church in Bedford. We're seeking to reach the Asian community there. They were doing an awful lot of work into one part of the community they had links with. But when people got saved, it's from a totally different part of the Asian community. But that's in God's hands. We do what he's called us to do and we look for the fruit to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be secure in knowing that you saved us. We thank you, Lord, we can be secure in knowing that you will bring much fruit. Because you are the, in a sense, the rootstock out of which we grow. We thank you, Lord, that you know this town better than we do. You know the people you're calling in this town. Lord, help us to do what you've called us to do well. Help us, Lord, to always be people who are hearing and seeing what you're doing. So that as people are seeking you, they might find you and be saved, we pray. Amen. Amen.